Well, friends, what a joy it is to gather with you this morning to worship the God who will never, no, never, no, never forsake us. Amen. My name is Paul Abdallah. I'm one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, please uh, find me after the service. Uh, Our service continues with our fellowship and would love to be able to greet you and meet you then. Well, this morning we continue in our series in the book of Psalms by considering Psalm 108. Psalm 108. So if you have a Bible, please open it there to Psalm 108. If you don't have a Bible, you can find uh, a a Bible available for you in the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, You can find Psalm 108 on page 507, 507. Or if you just have a Bible, you just open it to the middle of your Bible. That usually gets you in the book of Psalms and then you can find Psalm 108. As you open there, let me give you just a little bit of context about our psalm this morning. Psalm 108 is actually a medley of two other psalms. A medley is a a song or poem that contains pieces of two or more other songs or poems. And they're put together to to usually highlight or emphasize a a unique theme that's found in, in both of them. Well, Psalm 108 takes parts from two psalms written by David. That we find earlier in the Psalter, Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. If you have a Bible with cross references, they'll usually have a note there at verse 1, which directs you to Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. And then again at verse 6, which directs you to Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. Both Psalm 57 and Psalm 60 are laments. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And David, in both of these psalms, had found himself in difficult, though various, situations. And in the middle of that, he calls out to God a prayer in pain. So ultimately, going and coming to trusting God. But what we're about to see in in Psalm 108 is that whoever combined these two psalms, likely David himself, pulled from the the conclusion sections of these laments. That is, he, he pulled from the sections of trust and confidence. So rather than lamenting the trouble, we see in our psalm this morning, Psalm 108, those who are confident in God, no matter what. So this morning we will read the whole psalm, beginning with the the superscription placed just above the large number 108. And then after we read, we will pray and ask for God's help as we consider this psalm. So let's consider Psalm 108. A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness. With exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah, my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? 
Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we know this morning that there is no firmer foundation for us to stand upon than your word. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word that tell us that your word, when read and spoken and taught, does not return void. And so, Father, we pray that promise this morning. May your word not return void. Father, this is dependent on your spirit, so may your spirit give us understanding. Father, may your spirit speak as I speak. And may your spirit grant us a greater knowledge and confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A misplaced confidence can be a dangerous thing. A misplaced confidence can be a dangerous thing. We often see this in, in sports. You'll find there often athletes making guarantees about victory, confident in their ability and their desires, but unable to fulfill those guarantees. A great example of this is, is from the, the 2003 NFL playoff game between the Seattle Seahawks and Green Bay Packers. At this point in time, the Seahawks were an up-and-coming team. And while Green Bay was with the has-beens, quarterback by a quarterback you might know, Brett Favre. It was a great game by most standards, back and forth, ultimately needing to go to overtime as they retired at 27. And then at that point, overtime in the NFL was sudden death. You, you score, you win, you don't score, you lose. And so before the overtime, the, the, the ref has the, the captains of each team come out. He explains the rules, flips a coin to decide who will get the ball first. Seattle wins the coin toss and their, their quarterback, Matt Hasselback, at that moment proclaims, we want the ball and we're going to score. A guarantee of great, uh, a, 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 a great guarantee, fully confident in his deep desire and ability to win the game. Well, you may know how this game ended, but alas, the Seahawks did not score. In fact, not only did the Seahawks not score, but the the all-confident, guaranteed quarterback threw an interception that was returned for a touchdown. How ironic that the quarterback who placed confidence in himself ended up being the very reason they lost. A misplaced confidence can be a dangerous thing. This is true not only in sports, but in all of life. And as we come to Psalm 108, what we find is, is the psalmist David and the Israelites, including those who are returning from exile, are making a guarantee. Look again at verse 13. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. It's a much more significant guarantee than we find in Matt Hasselback. We're going to score. But it is a guarantee nonetheless. But this guarantee is is not confidence misplaced in their their desires. No, their confidence is placed in God and his promise and presence. 
And that is our big idea this morning. Our, our boiled down summary of our psalm is this. Be confident in God whose promise and presence ensures our victory. Be confident in God whose promise and presence ensures our victory. It seems that though this song was, was written by David and maybe even composed by David during his lifetime, it was re, refound again as the, the Israelites were returning from exile. And it was, it was sung by them as, as those who were delivered from exile, but not yet reclaiming their land. And like the Israelites, we too find ourselves, friends, as exiles on our journey home. Yet facing very real foes like Satan and sin and death. And we may wonder, will we make it? We've been delivered, yes, praise God for Jesus. But will we make it to that final conquest? Will we gain what God has promised? And the encouragement of Psalm 108 is that not only are we delivered, but all of God's enemies will be defeated. Final victory is His. The conquest is His. He has promised and He will be with us. And if He is for us, who can stand against And so this morning, brothers and sisters, be confident in God whose promise and presence ensures our victory. Well, what does it look like for us to be confident in God? Well, I think we see three ways here in Psalm 108. Now, those three ways will serve as our our outline. Confidence in God is reflected as we proclaim God's praises. As we proclaim God's praises there in verses 1 through 4. But confidence in God is also seen as we pray God's promises. In verses 5 through 9, pray God's promises. And finally, we see confidence in God as we presume or trust God's presence. Presume God's presence. So those three ways will serve as our outline. Proclaim God's praises, pray God's promises, and presume God's presence. Proclaim, pray, presume. Let's begin with our first point. Proclaim God's promises. Proclaim God's promises. So the superscription there, right above the the large number 108, tells us who wrote this psalm. It is a song, a a psalm of David. That could mean a couple of different things. It could be that, that whoever put these two psalms together is just giving credit to David because he wrote Psalms 57 and Psalm 60. But I, I tend to think that, that David put this on himself as he himself composed these, these two sections from different psalms and made them one. And he did that, that to, to encourage the people of God as they were taking conquest of the land during his reign. But whoever edited the psalm together, the, the first five verses come from Psalm 57 with just some, some minor adjustments in, in wording. So just to give us a little context about Psalm 57, it was a psalm of David, a lament, as he was fleeing Saul and hiding in a cave. It could be, in fact, picking up right where we left off from Psalm 34. If you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we talked in Psalm 34 about David having been delivered from King Achish, and then he went and fled in a cave. And it could be that Psalm 57 was written while David was in that cave. But what is David doing? Well, he's crying out for mercy. But he, in his crying out for mercy, is confident in God's ultimate deliverance and, and victory. Even as he hides in the cave, David is given to praise before he is delivered. Because he's resting on the promise 
of God. And so we see there in verse 1 of Psalm 108, his heart is steadfast. Let's read it again. Look down at Psalm 108, verse 1. My heart is steadfast, O God. No matter what's happening around David, he is confident that nothing is going to change his his confidence in God. He is steadfast, unchanging, unshakable. The steadfastness is seen as he proclaims God's praises. He will sing and make melody with all of his being. Right? He's not just giving lip service to God. He's not just saying true things about God or singing true words about God. No, his whole being, that, that, that phrase, all my being, could be translated all my glory. That is all of who David is. All of him is given in praise to God. His glory is given in praise to God's glory. And all of him will sing and make melody to his God. Friends, as we sang together this morning, were you proclaiming God's praises with your whole being? Or was it just mere lip service? Was your soul moved in proclaiming God's praises as we sang lyrics like yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? David's soul is is moved. His, His very being, all of who he is, must sing and make melody to God. But his soul, his being is so moved that he can't even wait until the morning. No, he must awaken the instruments and awake the dawn. That's what we see in verse 2. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. It's as if he's a, a child on Christmas morning running to wake his parents. David must awaken the dawn. He will sing before the sun rises. And as the sun rises, he will continue in his singing. David, filled with confidence and joy, will awaken the dawn with his singing. So his singing is with his whole being. It's uncontained by morning or evening. And it's before all the nations. Look at verse 3. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David's singing cannot be contained, but the the God of all nations will be praised before the nations. God's glory is is far too great, friends, to be kept to just one group of people or one nation. It's why we prayed this morning for the nation of Iran. We long to see every nation hear of God's greatness. And so David's proclamation of his praise will extend far beyond his own nation, but to all the nations... Filled with gratitude, right? I will give thanks at God's work. He's overwhelmed at God's character, giving praise. The nations, those around us who who are not in Christ should see us give praise to God. God's glory is too great, friends. Do others see you give praise to God? Do others know of your joy and gratitude for Christ? Those who are not a part of the people of God should know of His great and glorious promises and character. It's why we gather publicly here on Sunday mornings and invite those who are not Christians to come and join us because our praise of God is not solely private. It is public. And what's the cause of this kind of praise? A praise that is with our whole being, unable to be contained by time of day or by group of people? 
The cause of it is what we see in verse 4, the unchanging, never-ending love of God. Look at verse 4. For, that, that's the key word, because for your steadfast love is great above the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. David must declare and proclaim God's praises to all the nations. Why? Because the steadfast love of the God is, is uncontainable. It extends. It's above the heavens. It cannot be contained. The cave that David was in when he penned this psalm could not keep God's love or faithfulness. He was sure that God would deliver him. David knew the greatness of God's character. He had seen it. And so he will declare God's praise. But Psalm 108 it's not just about David. No, I think we find its, its placement in the Psalter here in book 5, right after Psalm 107, to reveal that, that those who were returning from exile, they too understood this. They too understood that, that their praise should extend to the nations because God's steadfast love is great. They were confident in the, the character of God and the promises that were rooted in that character. They read the words of David and they make them their own. As they returned to Jerusalem, delivered from exile, they proclaimed God's praises, knowing that though they faced an upward battle, God's steadfast love and faithfulness extends into the heavens. What was true for David and true for the exiles as they returned home is is true for us too. God's love is still steadfast, friends, it is still unchanging. His faithfulness still extends to the clouds. It is uncontainable. We can trust God's steadfast love and faithfulness and proclaim God's praises to all the nations. And we have even greater reason than David or the exiles because we know that God has not withheld His own Son. Remember what we read in Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, we see God's steadfast, unchanging covenant love and faithfulness most clearly in the sending of Jesus to die for our sins and rise again. As we look to Jesus, we too can, with David and the Israelites, have a heart that is steadfast, confident, proclaiming God's praises. In fact, this is the very mark of a steadfast heart, is one that proclaims God's praises. His glory cannot be contained. Instead, we praise God for His glorious character. But we also see that a confident heart not only proclaims God's praises, but it prays God's promises. And that leads us to our second point. Pray the promises of God. Pray God's promises. So David, in his confidence, turns from praise to prayer here in verse 5. This continues his, the, the citation of Psalm 57. This verse, verse 5 here in Psalm 108, is a repeated refrain in Psalm 57. It's the, the heart cry of the prayer there. So let's read it. Verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
David has declared God's steadfast love is great above the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And so now he's just praying that which he already knows to be true. Exalt yourself, O God. Be lifted up. That's, that's what being exalted is. It is to be lifted up, to make much of. He longs to see God's glory displayed over all the earth. He's declared that it is true, and now he prays that God might show this. And the result of this prayer to to be exalted really is as a prayer for deliverance. Look at at verse 6. That, so be exalted, O God, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. That at the beginning of verse 6 is a, a purpose clause. David is is connecting something here. As God exalts himself, his people are delivered. And so he prays that God would exalt himself, make his glory known, so that his people might be delivered. Here in verse 6, we we make a switch from Psalm 57 to Psalm 60. Alright, so Psalm, Psalm 57 now, his quotation of Psalm 57 is over. David moves now to into Psalm 60 which was likely written when David was already king and as he was pursuing the the full military conquest of the land that God had promised. And his prayer in Psalm 60 is that the beloved ones of God may be delivered, that they would be saved. And that prayer is rooted in, in God's promises. It seems at some point that David must have run up into some trouble, maybe a defeat of some kind before their, their ultimate victory. And so David laments the defeat, but as he prays in pain, he trusts that God can deliver. And so here, though, in Psalm 108, David really is combining the the prayer of Psalm 57 with the, the prayer of Psalm 60. They are one and the same. Be exalted, O God. Deliver us, O God. He is confident that the God who is over all will give salvation. And so he prays. For God to exalt himself and deliver. But what is, what is the source of David's confidence? Where, where is David looking? Is it his own desires like that of, of Matt Hasselbeck? No, it is the promises of God. Look at, at verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 108. Starting in verse 7 we read, God has promised in his holiness... All right, so, so this has been David, or the Israelites, speaking here in verses 7 through 9. The, the words become God's words. It is his promise. So when we read I, it is God speaking. It says there, with exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. David's prayer, remember, is that God would be exalted so that he would be delivered. And where does he get the boldness to pray such a prayer? Well, he gets it from the promises of God. He remembers that God has spoken, that he was clear that that all the land belongs to him. And so he will divide it up. He will apportion it out as he has so promised Nothing can keep him from that. Gilead is his. Manasseh is his. Ephraim is his home at Judah. His scepter. All these these different portions of the land belong to God. 
And none of the enemies of God's people can stand against them. Moab is his wash basin. He washes his feet on Moab. He cast his shoe on Edom. He will shout in triumph over Philistia. God is promising he is exalted over all of these nations. And so he will divide out the land as he promised. This is not a new promise. We read something similar in Exodus 19 verse 5. Where we read this. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God promising to his people before he, he, right after bringing them out of the exodus, before he brings them into the land, promising that, that all the earth is his and therefore he can do what he has promised. To make them a kingdom of priests and a, a holy nation because all of the earth is his. This is what we see in Psalm 108. Gilead is his. Ephraim is his. Manasseh is his. Judah belongs to him. He will give to his people the land that he promised. And he will defend his people from Moab, from Edom, from Philistia. Any enemy that tries to conquer them. There is no nation, friends, that does not fall under the sovereign reign and rule of our God and King, either for blessing or for judgment. It is as we sung this morning, O matchless King, there is no one who matches God in His sovereign rule. And therefore we can pray that He will be exalted in in earth. The Israelites had seen God fulfill this promise We saw it in 2 Samuel 8. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel. There was no nation that was able to stand against David because the Lord gave him victory wherever he went. All of these nations, Moab, Edom, Philistia, all fell to David because the Lord gave him victory. And so as the Israelites returned from the exile... They recalled these promises of God. Their hearts were made steadfast because God had guaranteed to this group of people that the land is His. And so as they were delivered, they then moved to singing confidently of of the promise that God will give it all to them as He promised. Yet, at this point, they had not experienced it. We know from other places in the Old Testament that as the people returned from exile, they did not quickly resume their place in the land. No, they faced much opposition from the enemies of God. We get a picture of this in Ezra 4, verses 4 and 5. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So here we have the, the Israelites, the, the, the people of Judah, being discouraged by the, the enemies of God's people. And not just for a little bit, not just for a couple days or a week, no, for years. During the reign of, of Cyrus and into the, the reign of Darius. They were delivered from exile, but still opposed. Not yet seeing the fulfillment of all that they were promised Darkness hiding the face of God. But where did they go for confidence when when darkness seemed to hide the face of God? They went back to his promises. It seems that they searched God's word and found this psalm. 
that David had written, declaring confidence in God, and they, they applied it to their own lives and situation. Friends, there is no firmer foundation for us than the Word of God. They didn't look for a new word. No, they remembered that what more can God say than what He has already said in His Word? And so this, too, is where we must go for confidence. We must go to God's words. We, we must search out His promises and take them to heart. We do not find promises of our own invention. We are not like, again, not to, to drag His name through the mud, but we're not like Matt Hasselbeck. We don't make guarantees rooted in our own desires. No, we go to God and to His Word. And we make guarantees on His promises, a far surer ground to stand upon. So friends, let me encourage you this morning. Here, here are a few promises that if you are in Christ, are yours today. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. David, uh, Paul writing says, We know We have a firm promise that no matter what happens to our earthly bodies, we have a a heavenly body awaiting us. Or you can consider the promise of Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? He will bring it to completion. Paul was sure of this. This is God's word to us. He will bring that which he begun to completion. We can consider the promise of Revelation 21 verse 4, which I think is is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise we find here in Psalm 108. That He, God, will wipe away every tear from the eyes of His people, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He will, not He may, if He gets to it, if 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 He is able to have the victory, No, He will do this. Or might be a promise that you need to hear is from Romans 8.28, one we read earlier. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We know that all things will work together. But brothers and sisters, there, there are so many more promises Promises that you can rest with confidence in, including the promise of our text this morning, Psalm 108, that all dominion belongs to God and He will conquer all of His enemies. And so as the Israelites returned from exile, they rested in God's Word. And we too, friends, ought to rest in the promises of God because God has sent Jesus and in first, Second Corinthians 1.20, we read, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, that is, in Christ. It is as we trust Jesus that we can have the assurance that all the promises of God will come to be. We need not wonder. No, we can be confident that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. He who did not remain dead but rose again is the assurance that we need, that all the promises, promises that we considered and promises that we are filled in God's word will come to be. But as we rest in God's promises, friends, we also pray 
God's promises, right? That is, that is what we see David doing. In fact, it is the ultimate display of rest and confidence in God's promises is that we turn and pray them. We make it our prayer what God has said. This is what David and the Israelites did in Psalm 108, right? God had promised that he would exalt himself, that he would apportion out as he had promised because all belongs to him. And so they pray, God, exalt yourself. Do what you have promised. This is what prayer is. Prayer is calling on God to do what he has promised to do. So friends, what did you pray for this week? How have your prayers been influenced by the the promises of God? If you're struggling with confidence, let me encourage you this week to pick a prayer or pick a promise that you can pray to God throughout the week. Maybe if you're fighting a particular sin, give yourself to praying Philippians 1.6. You can pray like this. Father, you have promised that you will bring the good work you started to completion. So bring it. Bring it to completion. Or if you're suffering, give yourself to praying Romans 8.28. Father, you have promised all things will work together for good for those who are in Christ. I can't see it, but I pray that you will make it work together for good. Friends, pick a promise that you can pray to God and pray it this week. Pray it again and again. Set reminders on your phone to pray it every hour to hold fast to these good promises and rest with confidence in the God who makes them. I might encourage you, if you come to small groups tonight, come with a a promise that you're going to be praying this week and ask others to join you in praying for that promise. As we give ourselves to praying the promises of God, we can be confident in God. He has promised ultimate victory for all those who are in Christ. Dominion is His. He will apportion out the land as He has promised. And He sent His Son as the guarantee and His Spirit as the guarantee of those promises. But if we're honest with ourselves, life circumstances don't always reflect this kind of confidence. It can be hard to see how God is presently with us fulfilling his promises. And so this leads us to our third point this morning. Presume God's presence. Presume God's presence. The promise that God had made to the Israelites was a promise of conquest. He had done it once in David. And here they are returning from the exile holding fast to this promise That they will have the land. That God will tread down their foes. And yet it didn't seem like that promise would come true. Look at the questions of verses 10 and 11. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? Three questions. No longer God speaking here. Now the people responding to this promise. God has promised that he will, he will conquer his enemies, give out the land, but it doesn't seem like it. They knew the promises, but from their perspective, they felt rejected and ill-equipped to accomplish the victory. You do not go out, O oh God, with our armies. They knew the only one who could accomplish this victory was God. It was to him that all nations belong, and so if they were to have success, much like David, it would have to be from the Lord. And so they pray in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. 
They could not save themselves from their foes. The salvation of man, that is trusting in themselves. Salvation brought by their own hand or the hands of their friends is vain. It's useless, useless. It's worthless. I wonder, friends, do you know the vanity of trusting in yourself? Have you experienced what, what they cry out here for vain is the salvation of man? Maybe you tried to, to pull yourself up from your bootstraps. But again and again, you found yourself falling. Well, friends, this message of trusting in ourselves is it's pervasive in our culture. It's, it's the message that all we need to do is look inward. Look, look within for all that we need. This message is, is so well captured in, in the song, Bet on It, from the classic, classic movie, High School Musical 2. <laughs> if you know anything about me, you know I, I loved High School Musicals, the High School Musical series. Here, Zac Efron's character is at a turning point in the movie. His life feels like it's, it's falling apart. And so this song becomes his theme of, of turning around. Listen to some of these lyrics. I'll try not to sing it. Everybody's always talking at me. Everybody's trying to get in my head. I want to listen to my own heart talking. I need to count on myself instead. He continues later on in the song. The answers are all inside of me. All I got to do is believe. This, brothers and sisters, is the epitome of the secular creed. Everything you need is within you. All you got to do is believe and, and bet on yourself. Don't listen to what others have said or are saying about you. All you need is yourself. But Psalm 108 teaches the exact opposite. Relying on yourself will lead to emptiness. It is pure vanity. It is the vanity of vanities. Certain defeat is promised for those who rely on themselves. But if we listen to what others are saying, particularly the others of of the Israelites here, God, as he speaks, as we listen to the promises of God recorded for us, the, the testimony of others, we see verse 13. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. On our own, friends, we will fail. But with God, there is success. With God, there is, with mightiness, we shall do valiantly, more than we could imagine. If those who were returning from exile turned from their self-reliance and rested on God, He will accomplish their full and final victory. It is God who does the work. Look at, look at verse 13. It is He who will tread down our foes. The message of Christianity is not that, that if you trust in God, you get all the strength and you can go save yourself now. No, the message of Christianity is that God himself delivers, saves, treads down our foes. We see it clearly in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, 
nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Who is it that does the triumphing? It's not us. It is Jesus. It is God as he sets aside our sins upon Christ, as he nails them to the cross on him. And as Christ raises from the dead, he he triumphantly rises over all God's foes. Deliverance comes only through Jesus. And the promise is not only does our initial deliverance come through Jesus, but our final and ultimate deliverance will come through Jesus. He has triumphed over the enemies of God's people. And he will ultimately eradicate all evil from this world. He will tread down his foes. We see a picture of this in Revelation chapter 19. And the beast was captured, the beast being Satan. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's brutal language, right? It's hard to read. But it is the language of conquest. All who stand opposed to Jesus will be defeated. This includes Satan, the great beast, and all his followers. See, just as the Lord gave David victory over all his enemies, so too, in a far greater way, will Jesus be given victory over all of his enemies. All will be subjected to him. And I want you to hear me very clearly here this morning. Jesus will be victorious. All things will be subjected to him either willingly or forcefully through judgment. With God, we shall do valiantly. He is he who will tread down our foes. Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I understand that this message seem, seem harsh. But friends, the promise of, of Revelation 19 is, is meant for you to hear and to repent. To see the vanity of relying on yourself and turn to rely on God. You see, the conquest is not yet complete. This has not yet to take place. It will take place in the future. Peter tells us the same thing in 2 Peter verses, verse 9, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, where he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The promise of Revelation 19, of, of Psalm 108, of God trampling down his foes is coming. He is not slow to fulfill it, but God is patient. The fact that you are here this morning is a sign of his patience. Turn from your sin. Reach repentance. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Don't rely on yourself. Don't put your your confidence in your own ability. Put it in God because he sent God the Son to take on flesh in the person of Jesus. To live the life that we couldn't live without sin but to die in our place, to bear our sins, so that if we believe in him, we are brought to new life, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. If you want to know more about this, 
Find someone after the service, a friend or a neighbor sitting next to you. Ask them what it means to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus. But apart from that, you, you can have no confidence. But those who are Christians still struggle with confidence. I, I'm sure that there are some of you here this morning who have trusted in Christ. You have been delivered just as the exiles had been delivered, as we saw in Psalm 107. But you're, you're wondering, will I make it to the end? You're wondering, maybe the words of, of verse 11 feel very real to you. Have you not rejected us, O God? You know, in theory, that your enslavement to sin has been broken. But this week you found yourself struggling with the same sin that you always struggle with. Not experiencing the full defeat of sin. You know that you will have a glorified immortal body in heaven. But this week you feel weak, hampered by a body broken through the fall. Friends, take heart. With God we shall do valiantly. That which seems overwhelming to you is not for God. He reigns sovereignly over all the nations. He will accomplish a sure victory. Tears shall be no more. Death shall be no more. Sin shall be no more. Victory is promised. And it is guaranteed to us because Jesus was rejected in our place. So that none of us, none of those who are in Christ can be rejected again. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You cannot be rejected if you are in Christ. So be confident in God. He is with you. He has not forsaken you. If you you are in Christ, you are safe. Yet as those who have experienced this victory, just like the Israelites, we are called to participate in the, the, the conquest even now. In fact, I think this was the purpose of this psalm, to encourage the Israelites, both in David's time and after the exile, to to keep pressing forward to full victory. And so, friends, we too shall be filled with confidence to press forward towards full victory. But we do that not with swords. Instead, we conquer by a message. Consider what our Savior and Lord says in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we see here is Jesus commissioning his people to go and conquer He will have ultimate victory, but as we wait for that victory, we are to participate in this conquering work by drawing others to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. You may be rejected. You will probably stumble over your words. You may not be as persuasive as you want to be. You may remain quiet rather than share the message. You may feel intimidated. But hear the words of our Savior. I am with you always to the end of the age. You do not go out on your own. You go out with the God of heaven on your side. He is with you wherever you go. And he has given you his spirit as the guarantee of his presence. The victory is not dependent upon us. It is already ensured by the very presence of our Savior. Brothers and sisters, our circumstances will produce many reasons to doubt 
where the victory is sure. The present sufferings of this world will make it difficult to see how God is working. But hear the words of Psalm 108. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. The victory is not dependent on you. It is fully dependent on God. And He has already guaranteed our victory in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This God, who is worthy of praise, is sovereignly ruling and reigning and has promised victory in the future and is present with us today. And so when we stand upon Christ by faith, we stand on solid ground. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and we dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Be confident in God, whose promise and presence ensures our victory. Let's pray. Father, we do recognize that you are the God of heaven and earth. Lord, your steadfast love and faithfulness exceed the heavens. They extend to the clouds. Lord, all the earth is yours because you have created it. And Father, you have promised to your people that you will tread down every one of our foes. Satan, sin, and death have no hold on us. But thanks be to God for the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that you would assure us of of these promises. Father, that we would not put our confidence in our own desires, what we long for, no, but we would put our confidence and long for your promises. Father, help us to be confident in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.